Hey gang, welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the show that brings you the men and women of track and field and explores their unique stories. The show is brought to you by Gill Athletics. Head on over to gillathletics.com to find all your track and field equipment needs. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill. In this episode, our guest is Miss Brittany Coker. Brittany uh, grew up a coach's kid, uh, did a lot of her unique aspects at Kansas State and Texas A&M as a manager for the track and field programs, and grew up the daughter of uh, really a track legend, a dear friend of mine as well, uh, Mr. Gary Dirks. He was the head coach of Cinco Ranch High School in Katy, Texas, and uh, just so honored that we could have this time with Brittany to talk about her life and what she does as a track coach, as the head coach at Taylor High School there in Katy, and just uh, just have some good times remembering her dad, who was just a, a really special man. So I think you're going to really enjoy this one. So without further ado, please help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Brittany Coker. Hey, thanks for joining us again, once again, on the Gill Athletics Connections Track and Field Podcast. Help me welcome today's guest. I'm super excited for this. Help me welcome Brittany Coker. Brittany, how are you? I'm doing really good. How about you? Oh, you know, I'm in an office talking to track coaches all day. I'm not sure it actually gets better. Being on the track would be better, but, you know, where we are, this is pretty good. You're living the dream. (laughs) This is the dream. That that is very true. Absolutely. Uh, so, Brittany, you are the head girls coach at Taylor High School down in Katy, Texas. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. I've been there for seven years. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, full disclosure, Brittany and I have known each other for quite a long time. I, I'm shocked that it's been seven years. That just seems like yesterday. <laughs> So tell me, what's it like coaching high school, coaching high school in the great state of Texas, and then coaching high school in what an amazing area for track and field inside of Texas, you know, down there in the Houston area? Right. So I got this position um, my after my first year of teaching. So I walked in to be a head coach in 2013. I was 25 years old, uh, one of the youngest female coaches for a, a six-day program in the Entry at the time I gave that up years ago, um, and I walked into already an amazing for track and field. Boys side was especially uh, very strong, and our girls side of our district has gotten even stronger. And so it's it's pretty amazing to be in a district where to make it out uh, to go to regionals in the girls mile, you're having to run under five minutes. Wow. What's the, help us understand the qualifying for Texas. There's regionals, districts, obviously state. Help us with that. So with district, so we have our district, which is eight schools, boys and girls. And then we have area meets. So we'll take, let's say Houston ISD and KDISD. And with HISD, they've got more than eight schools. So it'll be a segment of HISD. And then all of the KDISD schools, they'll come together and you have four kids qualify from each event out of area and then they go on to regionals and then the top two uh, kids at regionals qualify and then there's one wild card from the state so the highest qualifying mark out of regionals then there's a ninth kid that will qualify and then the state meet in austin in may so area regionals state 
and very famous in Texas, like you said, top two from each regional, and that is it. And then the, the wild card, of yeah. course. Is that wild yeah. card fairly new, or has that always been around? Um, I want to say it's been the past eight to ten years. So, like, right when I came into coaching after I got out of college, I think that's when that came about. Because the argument always was at the University of Texas, where they host the state meet, there's a ninth lane. But it was always empty. So we didn't understand why are we not utilizing this ninth lane, mm -hmm. give another kid an opportunity to make it out, especially in those harder regions to make it out for, you know, we've got our sprint regions, our distance regions, and you want to give those kids as much of an opportunity as possible. Yeah, there's always the, as a college track coach, when I used to coach college, when we'd recruit Texas, there was always that kind of famous little cliche, it was truth though, which is crazy, is that, you know, there are people who don't make it to state in Texas who are full ride division one kids, you know, there's a, a third place 10, right. 1500 meter kid or something like that. So yeah, it's just right. Like, for example, when I was in high school, we had boys long jump, it was top two made it out of district. And, uh, First place was 25, two and a half in the long jump. Second place was 25, one. 24, six didn't make it out. To, to even score in our meet, you had to jump over 24 feet. Wow. You know, I come from Alabama and in some of our, at least back when I was there, some of our smaller, we had six classes in Alabama, by the way, which you know, coming from Texas, that's just ridiculous. Uh, and some of our smaller classes, 24-6 would win the triple jump, just full disclosure. <laughs> wow. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm not that far off on some, on some though. <laughs> so what do you, um, what are you teaching there at uh, Taylor? So I teach uh, U.S. history. I've been teaching that for seven years, um, and I just recently have been asked to teach advanced placement U.S. history, so I'm really excited about that new challenge. Yeah, so, what got you into yeah. teaching history versus maybe a science? You know, I just think a track coach. I have always enjoyed kind of the social sciences. My major actually in college was psychology, and I minored in history, hmm. and I always, I, I thought I was going to go the sports psychology route, I didn't necessarily want to go that extra step with, you know, getting a master's and all of that. I was kind of ready to be done with school. And I, I've always enjoyed world history. I actually started out teaching world history my first year. And I've always liked to travel. And so travel and history very much go together. And just kind of going to these places where these amazing things have happened, stand there in that presence, it's something just really unique for me. And I like to, I like to share that with the kids. What's been like the JFK is my favorite president. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was going to share that. I was going to ask where has been the coolest place you've been to that you've been able to like teach or, you know, use that as an experience in the classroom. Um, so I, this actually goes back to world history. So my mom is originally from England. Um, her family is all lived over in Europe, um, except for my grandfather who lives here. And um, I would go as a kid over to London and we actually visited Hampton Court where Henry VIII lived. Yeah. And so, you know, reading, I, you know, I read about all about him and all of his different wives and just standing in the court where they had all of these amazing parties and how extravagant it all was. It's just something really, and to be able to share that with the kids, because 
kids think of typically like Buckingham Palace. They don't necessarily know about like Hampton Court or, I mean, they maybe know a little bit about Henry VIII. Being able to kind of tell them like, look, these are pictures. This is what it looked like. And it's really unique to be able to share that. Now, I am and was terrible at history. So, Miss History Professor Teacher here, uh, give me grace if this is a terrible, terrible segue. Have you seen Hamilton? <laughs> I have seen Hamilton. I, have. I am obsessed with it's Hamilton. So good. Okay, so good. good. I don't know where the history relates to what you discussed. Again, I'm terrible at history, but I just found it because I knew some of the history, of course, you know, it's the founding of America and all that kind of good stuff. I just found it fascinating. And of course, the music, I mean, that's what it is. It's musical, but that just, it hooked me. My, my wife wanted to watch it and I was kind of like, musical. Ugh. And I finally just gave in. And now I'm walking around the house singing the songs. It plays on our Alexa 24-7. Holy cow. Oh, it's a, that you'll, you'll be back, the one with King George where he's singing. That's stuck in my head 24-7. I play that. My husband's like, he can't get it out of his head. And he's like, he's not a big musical guy. And he, he, he watched it and he, he even enjoyed it. But he's a history guy too, so. See, this is how bad I am. When you said, you know, you're at Hampton Square, Hampton Circle or whatever, and you're talking about King Henry, I immediately went to King George. I'm like, oh, that must be the same guy or at least related. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> History's not for everybody. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, thank goodness I could get a degree without history classes because uh, I, I might be sitting here without a degree. That's for sure. Uh, so as a high school track coach, um, we don't get to talk to a lot of high school coaches, track coaches, not a lot of resources to bring everybody together on the high school side, uh, as compared to say the college with the USTFCCA convention and things like that. What is your biggest struggle as a high school track coach? Is it the athletes and where they are today with technology? Is it um, not being able to uh, put 100% of your time into coaching because you got to teach? What, what might be the, the toughest thing you struggle with? say like I have my kids are great like behavior issues don't have them nothing like that with my kids is that they want to do so much which is great like they want to be in clubs they want to be in the marching band they want to play soccer and basketball and volleyball and so you know, the unique experience having to share an athlete, I think most track coach, high school track coaches can kind of relate to that is because we, we can't have our team without kids from other sports. You, you just always are pulling from that. And with my kids, we're a smaller, we're the smallest high school in Katy, the 6A high, out of the 6A high school. So we've got a little under 3,000 kids. Jeez. And we've got schools up to 3,800. <laughs> Wow. Holy cow. Yeah, and so we're we're the small school. And you're still and so, so that's in, kid, Yeah, yeah, that, that's in, that's interesting cuz I went to a school of about 500 kit total all 500 of us. Uh so right. there was a there was a lot of dual and tri athletes because we wouldn't have teams without that, you know. But of, of a school of 3000, you still have a lot of shared athletes, dual athletes, tri-sport athletes? Absolutely. So I would say 70% of my team is kids coming from other sports. 
70%. Do you find, now 70% is a big number, so this may not be a fair question. Do you find those athletes that are also doing the volleyball and the football and maybe soccer and basketball, et cetera, do you find them to be your better athletes or do you find the athletes who just do cross country and track? You know, I, to be honest, if you put my team out on the track, I wouldn't be able to tell a difference. Mm. I really wouldn't be able to tell a difference. So because the kids that come out um, and they're volleyball players and they just jump right into my team and they melt it and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. We have a really great athletic department. Um, we've got, you know, a really strong set of values about sharing athletes. And so the conditioning on the conditioning side, those kids hop right in and they're, they're in great shape. Come for their sport. They're, you know, they're made. I see those kids, they're just as athletic as the track and cross country kids that I have full time. What do you, now you're a high school coach, and I know the typical answer is all of them, but what's the events that you specialize or maybe enjoy the most coaching? Um, I've always enjoyed the hurdles um, and the sprint and high jump. High jump's one of my favorites. I agree. Don't have as much time as I would like to dedicate to the high jump. Being a head coach, I've kind of got to be everywhere. But whenever I get the opportunity, I like to coach the high jump. The hurdles is probably absolutely favorite. It's, it's such a skill, in my opinion. And if you're listening, we're having a little bit of trouble, Brittany, with our connection. We're, we're kind of going in and out a little bit, though. I think we're still okay, just uh, okay. Uh, as we go through. So if I ask you to repeat something, it's just we, we missed a lot of, of what you just said there. Okay. Um, so you mentioned the hurdles and the high jump. Um, so how has it been, you know, last year? Uh, I was on the college, I was at the college nationals when we canceled the season. What, what was it like last year as a high school coach, as a head high school coach? of you know this turmoil and how do you explain it to the kids and how, how do you move on from here so we went into spring break we'd had our we actually hosted our jv track meet the wednesday before spring break we had a varsity meet on thursday and i actually had taken the day off on that friday um to go out of town with my husband and you know, over spring break, you know, there's already kind of talks about what's going to happen with school. And we did, it was kind of a holding pattern for a while. We didn't necessarily know what the season, or we were going to be able to resume. And, you know, I kept telling the kids, just do what you can, stay in shape. Um, you know, especially with the kids not being there, there's nothing I can't, I couldn't require them to do anything, but just trying to keep them encouraged. Like if we have district, we're going to have it this day. And then eventually when it came down, I had to talk with them and, and ultimately say, you know what, guys, we've done all of this work. It wasn't for nothing because we did have a few meets. We finished second in one of our hardest JV meets that we had um, this past season. I said, so you've got to think about that. And then we can carry that momentum over to next season. So hopefully, you know, by next spring, things look a lot better. And my kids were pretty receptive to it. I had, you know, some seniors who were really, really disappointed. I had one particular senior who she just joined my program her junior year. And it absolutely broke my heart. She wrote me this this letter 
basically saying that I wish that I joined track sooner because mm. I found out where I belonged in high school. Oh, and so man. it just broke, it just broke my heart. And, you know, she's going to my alma mater, so I must have had some good influence <laughs> on her. <laughs> so this is a, a, an interesting question. So there's a lot of talk among college coaches about how do you recruit kids that their only time is maybe from their sophomore year. You know, the seniors, unfortunately, you know, we only had up to their junior year and, and some marks their senior year, but not a full season, right? Uh, the junior kids, that's where a lot of your marks come from that are recruitable. That was, that was gone. So now they're coming into right. senior year. A lot of uh, scholarships are signed early and I, I don't remember when the signing periods are anymore, but you know, they, they certainly don't wait until June of 21. They, they're signed before that. What would you, if you, well, you do have the ear of a lot of college coaches. A lot of college coaches are listening right now, Brittany. What would you recommend as there, as coaches are trying to struggle to talent identify on based off of sophomore marks and, you know, one or two meets junior year marks, what, what recommendations would you give to college coaches on how maybe to recruit this type of kid, this, this COVID athlete, if you will? I would say reaching out to the high school coaches, they're going to be the biggest resource, you know, because there's going to be some of those kids that, you know, maybe they were injured this season, but you can reach out to those call or those high school coaches that you already have a built built in relationship with. And they say, they might tell you, I don't have somebody on my team, but there's this great kid in my district who has X mark. And then they can reach out to that coach because ultimately I think the high school coach, they know their athletes the best. Not only do they know what their abilities are, they also know what type of student they are. And I think the student athlete aspect is really, really important. And also character. You want to know if you're going to be bringing an athlete into your team that is going to mesh with your team. They're not going to be causing any problems. And I think those high school coaches, just reaching out to those high school coaches and just putting feelers out like, hey, I've, they may have this kid that you haven't seen a mark on, but they may be kind of up and coming that you can kind of keep an eye out for. That's a really good point. We're, um, I'm, I'm putting broad strokes here, but we're so used to looking at marks first that maybe this is an opportunity where we're going to have to do more homework, uh, more relationship building with the high school coach to find out the person and what kind of things is he or she doing in practice uh, that may help me indicate that they may be a better long jumper than they're showing on paper or things like that. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, even like asking for videos, you know, of the athlete, mm. you know, simple, you know, simply just maybe having them not even necessarily like, you know, a video of them long jumping, maybe having a video of them just working out and you can kind of show this is what we're doing right now. And then this is the possibilities that could happen with this particular athlete. Yeah, that's interesting. It'll be interesting. I, I, the part that I'm most curious about is, you know, every year, any normal year, uh, you always have the proverbial kid who slips through the cracks, right? That, you know, maybe he doesn't have a great long jump mark 16 feet out of high school. And so she doesn't get to go to Texas A&M or Florida or wherever, then she goes to, uh, you know, maybe an up and coming program at UT Tyler, what have you. And then through coaching and just saturation jumps 21 feet, 22, right? That kid would be categorized right. as slipping through the cracks. Uh, right, absolutely. Grossly false, right? Because you can't blame someone not signing a 16 year old kid to a big time division one, you know, it's, it's, it's 
You wouldn't blame them, right? Uh, but I, I'm interested in these two years, these last year's seniors and this year's seniors, and, and then hopefully we're done talking about it because we're back to normalcy. <laughs> uh, but I'm interested in these two classes because there'll be so little on the mark, on the paper results. D does the distribution go more flat instead of all to the power five schools first and then, you know, division one, division two, division three, if you will. Right. And I mean, a way to look at it as well is that we're all in the same boat. All of the high school athletes are in the same boat right now in terms of their season. They didn't have a, really a way to finish their seasons. So they're all in the same boat. It's not like one kid has an advantage over another kid because they got to have a longer season. Pretty much across the country, their seasons were cut short. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's a kind of a positive spin to a very negative situation. Yeah, that's a, that's a good teacher right there. <laughs> <laughs> a good teacher says, no, no, I know I have to give you a lot of homework, but here's the good news about it. You're, you're so good at that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, well, you mentioned uh, the one athlete who I wish would have joined track earlier as well, and she went to your alma mater, and you're talking about the student athlete experience and things like that. Talk to us about, you have a pretty unique college background in the sense that you weren't the, I'm going to call it the traditional athlete in college as it relates to track and field. Tell us uh, kind of where you went to school and what did you do with track and field? So I actually went my freshman year to Kansas State University and worked with Clipper Belto as a team manager. And I actually had um, a portion of my school paid for, and I got to travel with the cross country and track team um, around the country. And I got to sit and listen to Clipper Velto, who is one of, you know, the best track and field coaches. He's got just this amazing mind for track and field. And just spending every day at the track and being able to listen to him and learn from him and just, you know, steal what I could for when I went into coaching. <laughs> and I got, I mean, and I was, it was a really unique opportunity. I got to go to Hayward Field and uh, sit there in the stands where all of these historical events had happened in track and field. And just take that all in and go to pre-rock and actually at Hayward Field there's a the statue of Bill Bowerman and, and he's standing on the waffle iron um unique a story with that is that I actually have one of those sitting over at my parents house it's a smaller statue that uh, my my dad won when he his athlete won the national championship in the mile tour uh it was the Nike Indoor National wow is that so, right yeah yeah how, how big like a foot tall or it's something? about it's uh, about that big <laughs> so it's kind of hard to do it on zoom it weighs about 60 pounds it's pretty cow. heavy that's really and that was the last cool. one they gave away that was the last one they gave away it was in 2004. did they do it just for the mile winner just for the mile winner so wow. the boys coach and the girls coach of the mile received that that's re that's cool i like that that's really cool and so um, I spent my year at Kansas State, and then um, I had a, my grandmother, who I was very close with growing up, lived just 10 minutes away from me, got sick, and I decided to come closer to home. So I came to Texas A&M, and I got to be a manager with their program, have a portion of my school paid for, and work with Pat Henry wow. and Vince Anderson. So working with these amazing coaches, once again, just trying to absorb everything and getting to travel with them to uh, New York 
and out to California, to UCLA, go to all of these great track facilities and just be a part of an amazing program. When I was there, I believe it was 2009, 2010, um, A&M won the National Outdoor Championship. Oh, yeah. So I got to be a part of that and have the championship rings and yeah, pretty cool. That is really cool. That's a really unique aspect. We talked to track coaches and we've talked to athletes. I don't think we've talked to very many, I hate to call them people behind the scene because you're so vital to what you do. What were some of the things that you were responsible for as the manager? So um, at Kansas State, it was a lot of setting up practice. So making sure things were ready to go, whether that be setting up hurdles for drills or med balls for warmups. And then uh, my traveling to meet, I would be making sure that um, if anything needed to be filmed or having to pick up any equipment, you know, if I go back to the hotel and pick something up, you know, making sure that the athletes have everything they needed. And then when I got to A&M, um, we would travel. It was same filming. We had three managers on staff at A&M, so we kind of got to rotate jobs a little bit. We would... Uh, make sure that their nutritional needs were taken care of. So making sure we go actually to the grocery store once we got to wherever we were traveling to and we pick up snacks for them. So they would have stuff at the meet. So they weren't having to worry about things like that. And, you know, honestly, just getting to travel too. Just, you know, being an additional support for the athletes. Yeah. And the coaches, right? I mean, you talked about the Absolutely. grocery run, which all of us as coaches have done. And it's like, well, when I was out doing the groceries, my athlete needed this and I had to talk to the trainer about this and I had to get the relay result or a, a roster in. And it's like, man, to have that kind right. of help is invaluable. You're helping the athletes by helping the coaches even in that uh, role. Right. We worked under the director of operations, uh, Brian Bancroft. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And, you know, he, great guy. He would, you know, he would delegate and it was just an additional support system for the athletes. And I took it ultimately as a huge opportunity to, you know, be a part of an amazing program and to learn as much as I could. Yeah, did but you ultimately, the, I knew I wanted to go into coaching. Did you hang out at practice and like watch Coach Anderson do his thing and Coach Henry? And oh, so I actually, so I, I mostly worked with Coach Henry. So I was with the male sprinters, which is a really unique experience. I would spend the entire practice with the male sprinters and they were just a fun group of guys and I got to basically learn I mean I learned about you know learned about all of those guys and their kind of unique personalities their unique backgrounds and then how he would run practice and a lot of the way coach Henry runs practice is the way that I run practice interesting you, know, you don't show up late you show up late you might as, he would turn around go back you know Wow. You never showed up to practice late. And that was including the managers. So you, you made sure that you were to practice on time. The way that they do warm-ups, I incorporate a lot of what they do for warm-ups. I can't incorporate everything. I learned from Cliff Revelle, so a lot of the med ball activation exercises, I've took all of that and I've kind of banked all this different stuff and my athlete's like where did you get this all from I'm like from the ama most amazing coaches in track and field 
Yeah, it'd be hard to uh, disagree with you as as your athlete because it's like, okay, this is backed up by Pat Henry, Vince Anderson, Clifford Velto. <laughs> right. You know, uh, amazing coaches and knowing each one of those guys and gals personally, great people too. That's what's so oh, fun yeah. about that. Yeah. So you got to do a lot of traveling with them, a lot of um, maybe in the office talking about what, you know, what to do, what we're going to do at practice and setting that stuff up. Who was, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who was the most fun to work with? Ooh, that's a tough one. I would say that, probably I would say Vince Anderson. And even though I didn't spend a lot of time with him, he's just a really unique guy in the way that he looks at track and field. He has a little bit of an architecture background and he mm -hmm. applies a lot of that to his, the way he coaches and the way that he, you know, just the way his mind works and just sitting, you know, on the bus traveling from the airport to the hotel where we were staying at. And I'd sit up at the front and I would just talk to him about, you know, his opinion on, you know, sprint mechanics. And he would go into this whole, you know, story and he would tie it into something with architecture. And it's just mind blowing. I can't even describe It's just really unique. And he was just, just a super nice guy. But I mean, like you said, all of those guys are just great people on top of being great coaches. Now, they are such good coaches and that they have their, especially at the age and stage that they're at, that you're with them and today, you know, they have their particulars, right? They want those hurdles a certain way or they want the med balls. Mm -hmm. Who was the most I'm going to use the term fanatical. Who was the most like, hey, Brittany, that hurdle is one inch off. <laughs> was there anybody that was like really particular about that? I wouldn't say fanatic. So Coach Henry was very particular, but he always gave a reason as to why he wanted it a certain way. It wasn't just I want it that way because I want it that way. He would explain this is why I want it this way. And he would do it that way. He would make, he would help you get to that point. It wasn't just go do it and then jump your butt if you didn't do it right. He would never he he was never one to jump my butt, but he would he would explain this is why things need to be done a certain way. I got to work with him as the host of the uh, I think it's 2019 2000 well not 20 right 2008 years just run together now because of coronavirus two indoor national championships back-to-back -back at Texas A&M. And uh, so I got to work with him as the head coach and Brian Branker, uh, Brian Brankoff there as well. And Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Kinney, was that his name? Do you remember Jeremy? Yeah, uh, great guy there, a DJ. This is a bunch of I don't great, know. I was there, yeah. Yeah, a bunch of great people at Texas A&M as it involves their athletic staff. It was quite amazing. You must have had an amazing experience because those people were just amazing to work with uh, as we hosted the national championship there. But what I was really impressed with with Pat Henry is he's trying to win the national championship and yet he was he, he knew every detail and, and like in a good way not in over you know I use the term fanatical but like in a very poignant like this is important the, the way people come into the stadium is important the presentation that we give is important like he was really I don't want to overstate and say all thinking but like really there was nothing too little that was not important to him if that makes sense in all a good way Ab absolutely so i actually got to open that indoor facility oh, so yeah. i actually when I, I was there when it was being built and then we actually hosted the national championship right. there yeah. so wow. and we hosted conference and i remember coach henry was very much he's very detail oriented mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure and he he did one in a certain way and 
like you said, we you could win a national championship. And that was it was 2017 because I was actually at the indoor meet that they won the the and he, I didn't even know that to be honest I hadn't been following indoor track that much because I'd had a lot of stuff going on with school. I didn't even realize A and M was kind of in the hunt. I mean they're always kind of in the hunt, but and then you know it came down to the four by four and they ended up winning the national championship. But like you said, Coach Henry's around all around coaching his athletes, but also making sure the meets run correctly. Yeah. And that was amazing. That four by four and winning it and winning it at home is always special. Uh, Oregon won the women by like, I don't know, a thousand points. I think it was. <laughs> what, a, what a meet. Right. <laughs> what a meet. Yeah, that was, it was absolutely incredible. And I actually got, they let all the alumni come down onto the field and yeah. we did our Aggie war him and all of that. So that was pretty cool. See, while you were doing that and all the confetti and stuff was around there, I was busting my butt trying to get pits and turtles and everything moved to get staged. And, you know, Pat wanted us out of there, so we had to, we had to get to work. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, Brittany, you and I have actually known each other for a long time, uh, since around, you're around 14, 15, 16 years old, because you grew up, this is super interesting to me, you grew up a real I mean, the st any stereotype you can think of, you grew up a coach's kid. <laughs> um, yep. Usually we hear about that with like football, right? The coach's kid that becomes the quarterback and his dad coaches them throughout maybe different stages and stuff like that. This is super unique because it's in the track and field world. Uh, the, the way I met you, I was coaching at Mississippi State and was recruiting some kids. Your dad was the coach of Asinco Ranch. Uh, there in Katy, and I remember coming to your house. I was in town, probably visiting one of the kids, and went to your house and knocked on the door. And you answered the door, and you had like you were like, "Who are you?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh, uh, who is?" It? I was like, "I was, I was trying to speak Coach Dirks, I think." It's like Mike Cunningham, Mississippi State, and I somehow remember you had like a clipboard or something. I don't know, man. It seemed very like I was getting interrogated to come inside the house to talk to to your dad. <laughs> with that story I don't think my dad was home and you were like well I can come back and I said well what well what information do you need and so I you came in and my mom was there my dad was at track practice or something and I I said I was like well I can give you all the information you need and you're like no no I think it's okay and I, I was like well no I can tell you their SAT scores yes. they're there I can tell you all of their marks that their class rank everything that you need to know it and I think by the end of it, you said something along the lines of, well, when can you graduate to come to Mississippi? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I quickly turned it into a uh, job interview. I was like, well, hold, hold on a minute now. So when do you graduate? Because uh, we can <laughs> use this back in Starkville. Absolutely. I obviously was right because you went to Manhattan and the uh, College Station and did great. So I knew, I see, I, I had a talent identification. You did. You did. <laughs> So your dad, Gary Dirks, who, um, if you are listening right now and you ever met Coach Dirks, you ever met Gary, you know the person we're talking about here. One of the, just the most amazing people, uh, enthusiastic, um, obviously a great coach. I actually put that like maybe fourth or fifth on my list of Gary because of just the amazing person he was and the enthusiasm and thirst for knowledge, thirst for helping other people. Uh, just an amazing man. Well, that is, that's uh, Brittany, I almost said that's Gary's, that's Brittany's dad. 
and unfortunately, Gary passed away in 2016. So I thought it would just be a lot of fun. If you knew Gary, you're going to have a lot of fun because we're going to hear some stories. Uh, and if you didn't know Gary, well, I just honestly, I feel sorry for you. He was a one in a million person uh, that I'm so grateful of how I met and got to meet him and then uh, went on to recruit some of his kids. And then uh, throughout, I'll have some stories here as we, as we talk about it. Uh, but Brittany, tell us about what it was like uh, growing up as a coach's kid and then with that growing up as Gary Dirks's kid. So I basically was born and pretty much spent my life on the track, especially during the summers. My dad had a summer program um, that he started here in the Cade area. It was called Westside Track Club. We're on the west side of Houston. And ironically enough, that where he used to host his track club is actually the school where I coach at now. Oh, wow. So that was pretty cool. And he, it was him. And then he had one other coach um, whose name was Dennis Lemon. He coached uh, the throwers and he coached Bill Hobson, who he ended up throwing at uh, Mizzou. And then uh, Dallas Griffin, who threw 190 in the discus in high school and wow. played football for the University of Texas. And so he coached the throwers and my dad coached a little bit of everything else. And so I hung around the track every summer. I couldn't do swim team, couldn't do anything else because my dad had <laughs> track practice. <laughs> that was it. My mom told me you've got, cause she, my mom would go to work and my dad would have his summer track program. And so every summer we'd have sign up. I'd, I'd be there from eight o'clock in the morning until probably 1230. And then my dad and I would go eat lunch. And then we'd, I'd usually go back with him in the afternoons. He'd have practice at five o'clock in the afternoon as well. And he tried to get me to run. And one thing about my dad was he knew that he had very high expectations for his athletes. And I was not a runner. I, no endurance, zero. <laughs> Hero, and he, you know, he, he would have me come out and try. I'd always finish dead last in the warm up. It was just like, Dad, this is not for me. And he'd never put any pressure on me. My mom, actually, of all people, put more pressure on me. She was like, I don't understand why you, uh, why you can't be an athlete. Your dad is, you know, this amazing coach, and blah, blah, blah. Wow. And I don't hold that against my mom. My mom is, is just as competitive as my dad was, but she was just didn't understand. And my, my dad was perfectly okay with it. I mean, the joke always was, especially when I got into high school, was do not run on my track, Britt, because if you do, you're going to ruin my reputation. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can see him saying that. <laughs> And he's not wrong. I won't demonstrate my running form, but it's terrible. It's so you, horrible. So you don't do any demonstrations for your kids now as a no. coach of your own you know, program? I always, I always find the athlete that can do the demonstrations for me. <laughs> and oh, so man. what was unique? So I spent all that time growing up with track, but didn't necessarily really have an interest in it until I got into high school. So I was 14 years old freshman year I love basketball and up until eighth grade I was tall I was five six so I was taller than most of the girls and I played post well five six playing post in high school ain't gonna happen so I decided to my dad said why don't you switch into the track class and we'll figure out something to do I thought all right and so I started getting on to die stats 
the oh, old yeah. track website way back in the day. Absolutely. And I start doing research. I'm, I'm like, Eric Stanley, he's got mono and he, you know, you can put, put this athlete in this race because he's got mono. So he's not going to be able to run. So you can qualify that kid out to, to state. And my dad was like, how did you find all of this out? And I said, I just started doing some research and got on the, on the discussion boards and started making connections with a lot of the athletes. And I started just really getting into it. And he and I bonded. And we had this unique bond that I think a lot of high school girls don't have with their dads. They kind of lose that. They get to, you know, 14, 15 years old. They're like, I don't want to be around my dad. And it, I, all I want to do is be around my dad and talk about cross country and track and just take everything in. So I basically kind of became his unofficial assistant coach when I was 15 years old. Have you ever seen the movie or maybe read the book Moneyball? Yes. Yeah. You know, about the analytics that came into baseball. And of course now it's, you know, it's throughout all sports. You were kind of like the rudimentary, you know, first level, um, statistical analysis of not just how fast is a kid, but hey, this kid has mono. So if you put him in this race, like that's really amazing. And back in 05, the internet wasn't great by any means. It definitely was better than when I grew up, Brittany. That's how old I am. Uh, but certainly social media wasn't a big deal. You know, Facebook was just getting into some different colleges. So you didn't have that. You had Diestat, which, you know, shout out to John Die for starting Diestat. Uh, he doesn't get the credit maybe anymore that he should, but what a giant in leaping uh, statistics nationally for us in, in the great sport of track and field, man. Holy cow. Wow. So when you said you talked about high school, back up just a second. How old were you like when you first started doing the summer track, the West Side Track Club? How old were you when you were first doing that with dad? I would say that like the earliest I remember was being about six years old. Wow. So you have been in track your whole life in a very unique experience, though. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, always just kind of hanging out on the sidelines. Yeah. Never, never once. I never ran a track race in my entire life. Is that right? Never. <laughs> hey, when I started this podcast, Brittany, if you would have said, hey, you're going to interview someone on the Gill Track and Field Connections podcast that never ran a track race, I'd be like, whatever, of course I am, come on. <laughs> yeah. I, I, they all have to have run some race, we're all track and field people yeah. here. That's super unique. What was it like when I met your dad? So I, it was around, I'm pretty sure it wasn't until I went to Mississippi State, so I was at Ball State before that. Maybe it was just before that, because I started doing the... Um, the high hurdle junior elite high hurdles at Chula Vista and Olympic Training Center. And so there were some kids. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't, you're, you probably gonna remember everyone their names. There was a really good long jumper, high jumper, uh, a couple of good long jumpers. This, this 0405 area team was just stacked. It was amazing. Did you, did you know? Well, of yeah. course, you were on Dice Of course, you knew how good they were, but did you get a sense of how good this team was and how special it was? those kids had been around my dad since they were in junior high. So my dad had actually been at Beck junior high, um, which is the feeder to Cinco. He opened that school back in 97. And so a lot of those kids, they did, and they were not affiliated with school. They did his summer track program. And so he had them in junior high. He, they would have their junior high track season and they came and ran in the summertime. Well, he had one year where he was at Langham Creek high school 
and then he opened up Sinker Ranch High School. Well, wow. all of those kids had been in his summer program and been with him in junior high, came to Cinco. And so he'd already built this huge relationship with them and he'd given them this great base already, which we, we talk about, you know, you know, I think there's a book that it talks about 10,000 hours, you know, to practice something, to become an expert. Well, these kids already had that background. They already had been practicing hurdles since they were in sixth grade or high jumping. Now, Scott Sellers was not a good high jumper in high school. I mean, in junior high. I was going to say, oh, oh, what? (laughs) Yeah. High school, school, yes. Junior (laughs) high, no. You just made me question every memory I have. I was like, wait a minute. He was like seven. No, 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 no. Okay, okay, good. So junior junior high, no. High school, yes. But um, my dad didn't have, uh, didn't know Scott until he got into high school. But all of those guys came in and I did, I mean, by no means did I think that they were going to be this, you know, nationally renowned team. But my dad kept, you know, started talking with them from fairly early on saying, guys, we've got a shot to win the state championship, you know, and he was talking about this years in advance, like, but this wow. is what we have to do to win state. He already had it in his mind. This is where we can score what, and this is where our strong events are. And he was already ready. He, he had it in his mind. He was winning a state championship with those guys. Wow. So back up real quick, just because it's one of my favorite authors. The book you mentioned about 10,000 hours, there's a lot of studies and stuff, but the book, the author's name is Malcolm Gladwell. The reason I love him is, first of all, his books are just amazing. I know I've talked about him here on the podcast before, but also interesting is Malcolm Gladwell is a track guy. He was, I think, a miler or a quarter miler up in Canada. He like if you follow him on Twitter, you'll see he'll comment on track people. St- he is a he, he love he's a track love uh, track nerd man. He just loves it. So, um, and, and I think that ten thousand hours was either in uh, Tipping Point or Blink, and I'm pretty sure it's in Tipping Point. But no matter what, go read all of Malcolm's books. They are honestly amazing. David and Goliath, the Perfect Stranger. I mean, they are just I love them all. Love them all. Uh, so you mentioned Scott Sellers. So Scott Sellers is what? Uh, did he jump seven five? Yeah. So seven five and a quarter. Yeah. See, I knew you would know it down to the yeah. Uh, was also a really good triple jumper. Maybe he jumped fifty feet in high school. Close. He's like forty nine ten. Yeah. And yeah. of course, a pretty good long jumper on top of that as well. And I have an interesting story about Scott with the triple jump. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> so. So Scott was known for the high jump. So started out freshman year, um, tried to qualify for Texas Relays, jumped 6'6", which was the qualifying mark um, for the meet. Texas Relays didn't let him in. He said, well, next time I'm here, I'm going to make sure they realize that I, like they, they made a mistake. And he ended up winning the state championship in the high jump his freshman year. Wow. Well, that next year, he was just still high jumping comes to his junior year. His junior year was the year that we were trying to to win the state state team title. Hadn't triple jumped all year. Had never even really tried triple jump. My dad was sitting there thinking, we need some points somewhere else. What do you think about trying to triple jump? Goes out the first day at practice and jumps like 47, six, just, not no not a full approach you know just kind of playing around wow goes to the district meet the next week breaks the district record (laughs) 
Holy cow. I mean, that is, I mean, he obviously was naturally to end up being a seven, five high school jumper. It, it goes to Kansas state. If I remember correctly, yep, that's Cliff, correct. yeah. yep. which Cliff wanted, I mean, arguably one of the best high jump coaches in the world right. actually. Yeah. Uh, and I remember there was a at Mississippi state, we were recruiting one of the kids. I think he ended up going to Tennessee, uh, a decathlete, uh, Tyler. Uh, oh, Tyler, Trevor. Tyler Whittem. He ended up going to Rice. Yeah, okay, that's right. Rice, yeah, did well. Yeah. A couple of good long jumpers that I remember. I think I met your dad. I think it was Tyler that we had. No, no, no. It was um, uh, the high jumper. He was out there. I was on the hurdle staff, but your dad was out there with him for the high jumps. The high jumpers were at the same time. Yeah. And so your dad came over to our group. I think that might have been the year we had Justin Gatlin and um, uh, maybe Ted Ginn and, thing. and we just had you know, just a killer crew that we had out there and so your dad came over because he's your dad he was just like oh hurdle like he's gravitated towards the hurdles right. <laughs> uh, that was like his passion I knew uh, his passion was track and field but he loved hurdles and I remember he came over and we you know we just started talking struck up a conversation that is how I met him because that's how I got in to start recruiting these kids when I went to Mississippi State the next year that's it okay memories the memories in here somewhere Brittany you know <laughs> there's no room for history so uh, you'd think I'd have a better room for a track and field um and, uh, and that's how I met him. And we talked about some different things that I did as a hurdles coach back then. And what amazed me, here's my, what my favorite story about Gary for me, besides recruiting and, you know, being in, in uh, Katie and, and hanging out with you guys and stuff. But I lost touch with Gary for quite a while. Um, after Mississippi State, you know, I, I did this crazy thing and moved to Vegas and played poker for a living and then uh, came here to Gill and, and stuff. But I was at the New Mexico Track Coaches Association. I don't know, it had to be 2010-ish. You know, I probably haven't talked to your dad in five, six years, maybe at this point. And, and I saw that he was speaking. Uh, he was one of the, the speakers there. And I was there as a vendor, you know, for Gil. And I was like, oh, you know, I want to I wanna say hi to him. I, he, I'm sure he doesn't even remember me. You know, it had been for a long time. I never actually got to sign one of his kids. So, you know, it's not like we had some kind of deep, deep relationship in my mind. And so your dad comes out of the room. And of course, there's so many coaches following him asking, well, what do you do here? What do you, I mean, you know, your dad just, uh, yeah. the presentation was just 50% of it. He would just sit in the bar area and just talk, 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 talk you know, to anybody. Yeah. I hate to say that anybody would listen. He, people kept asking him questions. And so I see your dad. Now, I haven't seen your dad, like I said, minimum five years. It's probably six or seven. Had in any contact with him. He sees me immediately. He goes, Cunningham. And I was like, holy crap, how does he remember me? And he goes, dude. And I think I said something like, holy crap, how do you remember me? <laughs> you know? yeah. He goes, dude, I've got a drill that I call the Cunningham hurdle drill because of you. And it was one of the most humbling, like, you know, I got to meet and talk with this guy, you know, overall, very, very, very small part of his life and my life. And he listened to me. Uh, he put some things that we talked about in action. Uh, humbled me enough to name it, you know, to have that kind of humility. And then the icing on the cake, if you will, to remember me by sight, five, six years later, that was like, that told me, I knew he was a good guy from, you know, being around him and stuff. That is what told me, it's like, oh, this dude's on a whole nother level of, of goodness, <laughs> you know, of thinking, yeah, of, yeah. Of, of thinking of others first. I mean, he would be at track meets and he would see it'd be a coach from, you know, across the field, 
And he's like, that was my athlete back in middle school when I first started out in 1991. And I'm like, no way. And he was, and they, and sure enough, that coach would come up and be like, Coach Dirks, what the hell? How are you doing? And these were kids who were on his junior high team. And they just remembered him. I mean, if it, if it says anything, um, when, when my dad passed away and we had the memorial service for him, we had to have an overflow at the track stadium, uh, at the stadium at Sinker Ranch High School, because there was at least from the guest book, which not everybody got to the guest book, there was over a thousand people who were there. They were putting people in closets, typing it in. Wow. And just all of these people who wanted to celebrate him and just be a part. And it, it, it was so humbling. And it, it, that's what makes me continue wanting to teach and coach is to make that yeah. level of impact. I mean, he, he had th these great teams, but he also developed these great people. That was mm -hmm. one of the big things is he was like, you're not just going to be a good athlete. You're going to be a good person too. You're in a unique position um, growing up as really a, I mean, daughter is the most awesome title you can have as it relates to to Gary, uh, but really a part, you know, an assistant coach, you know, you, you, you guys were, um, you know, was it thick as thieves is what they said, you know, you guys were just so close beyond uh, traditional, you know, I have a six-year-old girl and I just think, man, if I, it, you talked about the, the high school years, you know, that scares scares me to death. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, uh, yeah. so that type of relationship is just, just super special. You're in a unique situation that you're now um, with, you know, him passing, you're now in his shoes in the sense of as a track coach and you get to, and you, you know, worked with amazing people like Pat and, and Cliff and what have you. And I'm sure you, you get to see college coaches a lot. Do, do, do you get like the random, a coach will come up and be like, Hey man, I, I, I knew your dad from XYZ or, Hey, your dad did this, or do you ever get those or? All the time. <laughs> All the time. It, I mean, especially like, uh, cause the area that I'm in, I didn't go far from home. And so a lot of those coaches will still reach out there. Um, one of the kids that my dad actually coached at uh, Missouri city middle school, um, I still somewhat keep in contact with him. His name is Maurice Enriquez, and he coaches at Niwot High School in Colorado, which they have their own amazing program. And, you know, he reached out to me, you know, just asking about stories about my dad because he wanted to share it with his athletes. But he would call my dad and talk to him almost every week before he passed away. And uh, there's and there's so many coaches like that out and it amazes me that my dad had all these great relationships with all of these coaches and all of these athletes that he even had any time for family. And he still had all this time. So he, he made it a point to have all of these relationships and have all these bonds for people while still having a strong bond with his family. I remember talking through him through a couple, talking with him through a couple of different things. And I just remember, and maybe you haven't, maybe you have or haven't heard this, Brittany, but to me, it's important to tell you this. Like uh, one year he saw me at the USTCCA, it was probably in San Antonio, I'm sure. And uh, he comes up and he tells me, he's like, hey, do you remember my daughter, Brittany? And I was like, oh yeah, she gave me the right act at the door, you know? And he was just telling me, you know, the things that you had done at Kansas State. And he was so proud of you. 
And I thought it was interesting because it's one thing to be to brag about your own kid, and, and that's and it's special, but no questions asked. But he's coached so many great athletes, and, I, and I'm a track guy, so you know the natural story is to tell about you know the fun times with Scott jumping seven five or you know whatever, right? And he never spoke to me about those kids. It was always about you, Brittany. It was always, do you remember, yeah. do you remember when she would answer the door? Oh man, she'd get, uh, I mean, she, he, that's all he talked about. And this was before I had yeah. kids. Yeah. Yeah. It was before I even had kids. So it wasn't like he was like, Hey man, you're going to have this with your daughter. He was just so proud of the relationship that you guys had. And the, really, I think what it boils down to hearing more about your story and knowing a little bit about your story is really the selflessness that you gave your dad and then through your dad, athletes and other coaches. I mean, you could have, no one would have blamed you as, as the high schooler to, hey, you know what, Dan, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, instead of helping out this year, I'm gonna go hang out with my friends or I'm gonna join choir, whatever. You know, I'm just I'm gonna go do my own thing. I'll find who I am, right? Uh, when in reality, this is who you are the whole time. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, you're so selfless that it was like, hey, no, this is what I enjoy. This is who I am. Uh, spending time, time with you, dad. And I just think he, not not think I know he just ate that up that was his that was everything to him as much as track and hurdles and all the stuff that he did man that that was his everything right there so clear so clear yeah and I just remember when I got my first head coaching job and he had retired so he he retired from 2010 to 2013 so right when I got my head coaching job and he was just telling everybody. And I was like, dad, don't tell everybody because I'm just starting out. My, I don't even know what I'm doing yet. And he was like, Britt, you know way more than what, what, what a lot of head coaches already know, but they don't know. And he ended up coming back and he went to coach at his high school. His high school, he graduated from Springwoods High School um, in um, just a little bit further east, um, right outside of the loop in Houston. And he was coaching cross country. I was coaching cross country. Well, my first cross country meet as a head coach, he and I were competing against each other. And I told him, I said, Dad, if I beat you, you're going to have to retire again. And my team, my team beat his team, but he didn't retire. <laughs> I love that he was pumping you up on your very first job. I mean, th that's the role of a coach, right? To believe in you, to see in you more than you can see today. That's exactly right. He knew what you were going to become and do. He, he's known you your whole life. You, he, you had to be convinced. <laughs> I, I still, being 25, 25 years old was a little nerve wracking. I was like, I'm one of the youngest head coaches, period. And I'm a female. And it's just like, I didn't know. I was like, what am I getting myself into? I barely know what I'm teaching in the classroom. I don't know. I'm like, I, I just got into all of this. And oh, man. I, but I for sure followed my passion. And, you know, I just, I try and live up to his, his legacy as much as possible. I mean, it's kind of hard to live up to a team though. My team will never be like his team, you know, two 13, six hurdlers, 16 for vaulter, 409 miler, 855 two miler you know all this crazy stuff that my team will never live up to that but more importantly for me it's making sure my athletes are good people because that's what my dad focused on was you're a good person you're going to end up doing the right thing to become a good athlete well if if you would give me permission i, I want to channel your your dad here a little bit what you just said is not true 
your teams will be just as good as his teams. They, and certainly the personality and uh, character is there uh, for the kids and how you teach them. But you are going to surpass. That's what, that, that's what he poured into you for, was to surpass all the things that he did. You, you know that. You know that. This is your dad right here saying, hey, man, you will do this. You, you have the ability in you. You've got to see it because we see it for sure. Well, I appreciate that. If I, if, my, if I have a team that great, that would be amazing. But I have great kids already, so That's they're, right. they're awesome, awesome people. That's right. Well, as we start to wrap up today, Brittany, what's another uh, just story you might share about your dad? I know there's so many going through your head as soon as I said that. Uh, I know there's just so many wonderful things that he meant to so many people, a thousand people minimum at his. That doesn't surprise me at all, to be real frank. Absolutely. You know, to t kind of tie in with me being my dad's assistant. So I remember we were at a meet here in Houston. I won't name the school that we were at, um, but uh, we had three athletes that could jump over 24 feet in a long jump. And one of those athletes I felt like was getting some unfair calls on scratches. And I proceeded to go up to whoever was running off the long jump. And as you know, I could read the right act to him. And cause my dad was about to, and I went and did it before he even said anything. And he, I remember coming back and he was like, well, you got that taken care of. You got, you, you, you look like some of these coaches out here and you're just 16 years old. <laughs> you had no problem walking up to them and just telling them how you felt. Well, and sure enough, that kid jumped 24 six that day. So. Man, I tell you what, Brittany, uh, super unique growing up as a coach's kid and then uh, under a, a, a dad, a coach who just so successful, not only athletically and what he was helped this at the athletes produce, but just as a as a person, uh, how successful he was. I see it routinely when um, when you and I do happen to cross paths, you know, every once in a while we see each other at a convention or to meet and everything. And I tell you what, I just I see that personality and that character of your dad in you every time that we do have the ability to to see each other or the pictures that I'll see and you and your husband and, and the fam just you know all this is just so great I, I just I see him you are definitely carrying on the legacy if you will I'm not even sure what all that means you know but I mean like uh, your dad's just uh, so proud uh, everybody's so proud uh, the ones that knew your dad and knows what you're doing uh, it's just so special I mean what you do is coaching high school um, I'm, I'm a I come from the college coaching background, so that's always more of my my bend in my my society network. But so you have so much uh, disrespect in my heart for what high school coaches do because you're you're teaching, and I think teachers are just the most undervalued people in this world. Uh, and then on top of that, you're setting up in our sport or track and field these great kids to go on and, and maybe be first time college students and college graduates and really changing lives with that ability. So um, I'm just so thankful that you would share share your story and share Gary's story today on the Connections podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Getting to, you know, talk about my dad helps me kind of remember things and, you know, you know, I, I don't ever want people to forget about him. So I think he's a little bit hard to forget though, if you ever met him. <laughs>
that is the truthful thing ever in this <laughs> podcast right here. Brittany, thank you so much for just being humble, uh, sharing those stories with me. I know sometimes that can be difficult. Uh, the good news is, is we're talking about something so positive and so enriching, and that is uh, the life that your father did live, the time he was with us, and the great things that you're doing as well in this great sport of track and field. So again, Brittany, thank you so much. Really appreciate you today here on the podcast. Thank you again. All right. Have a great day. Well, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and review on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. As well, we encourage you to connect with others and share the podcast on your social media. Looking forward to next time when we connect you with another great track and field connection. Bye, guys.